At the end of the day, there was a foundational training element that wasn't clicking for me at the root of every single horsey struggle that I have ever had. Clarity came for me when I understood that there's always a reason why with horses. Welcome to the Dressage Connection podcast, where we are demystifying dressage training so your connection with your horse can flourish and you can start making sustainable momentum in your riding. I'm your host, Beth Carter, an Australian dressage trainer, coach, and the human behind BC Performance Horses with a passion for making correct dressage training understandable and accessible for every horse and rider. I believe that every horse benefits from dressage training, and I believe that it is possible to develop a horse that produces high quality work that scores well while still having an epic connection with your horse. I'm here to help you build foundations that will support you through the levels, own your role as your horse's trainer, and fall back in love with riding your horse. So put your foot in the stirrup, and let's build that dressage connection. Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of the Dressage Connection podcast. I am so excited to be doing this, and at the same time, I can't believe that I'm doing this. This whole podcast thing has actually come together really quickly for me. Would you believe me if I told you that as of just a few months ago, I had never even listened to a podcast. A few people had kind of said to me, oh Beth, you should make a podcast. I would totally listen to that. And let me say, you guys better be here. (laughs) And I was kind of like, I really like that idea, but I have never even listened to a podcast. Anyway, I started listening to a few podcasts and getting a feel for what they're about and I got excited quite quickly. I knew right away what it was I wanted to say and how I wanted to say it. Even the name kind of just appeared to me. So I'm really excited to be here and starting on this podcasting journey with you. I'm really looking forward to sharing training tools and tips And I've lined up some cool collaboration episodes with the trainers who have inspired my writing and other experts who I have worked with or I admire to get their take on their area of expertise that will help you in some way on your dressage journey. My goal with this podcast is just to make correct dressage training that prioritizes a good, healthy relationship with your horse, accessible to anyone who wants to learn how to be a better rider for their horse. So I thought we'd start this podcast with you getting to know me and the experiences in my life that have brought me to this point. For those of you who don't know me, hi, I'm Beth. I'm the human behind BC Performance Horses. I am an Australian dressage trainer and coach based out of the Southern Highlands, New South Wales, and I also run online programs. I'm a big believer that every horse and rider is capable of developing correct foundations and that you, the rider that you are, are capable of training your horse to use their body correctly in relevance to their level of training. Now, before you psych yourself out and say, I just want to be able to get by in the lower levels or I don't even want to do dressage, let me tell you why I think it's important that you help your horse use their body correctly. Whatever your aspirations are with your horse, whether you want to stick to the lower levels, you want to do international Grand Prix or not even do dressage at all, I believe that training your horse to use their body correctly is going to help them feel more comfortable in your rides and help you build a better connection with them because you are speaking the same language, 
which is going to boost both your own and your horse's confidence. And it's going to help both you and your horse have so much more fun in your rides. When your horse responds effortlessly to your aids, both you and your horse feel so much better because you don't have to keep kicking, whipping and feeling frustrated, exhausted or confused. When your horse works through the connection correctly, your horse is more comfortable in the long term because they are using the correct muscles to carry you, which helps prevent pain and you are happier because your horse is in the pretty frame and their top line muscles are growing. When you're able to go to the competition and score consistently well, you feel elated because you are killing it and your horse feels confident in what you're asking them to do. Because that's why you do this. If you are not doing this riding thing professionally, then you are doing it to enjoy it. So why not put the pieces in place so that you can actually do that? Having things like this be your new normal doesn't have to be complicated or require you to train overseas or become a professional rider like I did. Through this podcast, I'm going to be showing you how you can make this your reality. But for now, I want to talk about how I got here because I didn't always feel this clarity around my riding. Even though I've ridden my whole life with a focus on dressage, thanks to my mum who worked in a dressage stable growing up and kind of influenced me in the dressage direction. The way forward hasn't always been clear for me. I have struggled with the contact. I have struggled with being consistent in my training. I have struggled with going down the center line and every single thing going wrong. I have struggled with fear so bad I couldn't even hear the word canter. I have struggled with a horse that reared vertical and I didn't know why. At the end of the day, there was a foundational training element that wasn't clicking for me at the root of every single horsey struggle that I have ever had. Clarity came for me when I understood that there's always a reason why with horses. There's always a reason why they behave a certain way or aren't getting a certain thing. And it almost always comes back to the foundations. I got my first pony when I was five and for some unknown reason my parents bought me an unbroken Shetland. My very first horsey memory is being bucked off said Shetland. Her name was Barbie and she was an absolute sweetheart but she just didn't have the life experience to be a first pony for a five-year-old at that time in her life. So my parents bought me Squeaky, a little pinto Welsh cross Shetland who I gained so much confidence on before I outgrew him. My mum used to call us the Thelwell Pony because I used to canter him around everywhere with my legs flapping around like the Thelwell Pony cartoon. <laughs> when I was around eight, we bought Starlight, who was a very green six-year-old pony who we were assured was extremely quiet, but looking back, she was probably drugged when we trialed her. I'll be honest, all I remember about Starlight is that that pony never saw a hill she didn't bolt down, and we lived on a very hilly property. So I fell off her a lot, including our very first time at Pony Club, and I lost my confidence pretty quickly. We sold her on to someone who could give her more training, and with the help of my instructor, we bought a 15-2 hand thoroughbred schoolmaster called King. Doing the jump from 12-2 pony to 15-2 hand thoroughbred was a big jump without the confidence issues that I was facing. He was an absolute gentleman who we bought to teach me the ropes of dressage, but at the time, he was just too big for me and I was so scared. That's when we found a 13-hand Australian riding pony called Dobber who changed it all for me. 
By the time I was trialing Dobber, I was so scared of cantering that if you even said the word, I would just clam up with anxiety. I just remember trialing this absolutely perfect pony and my mum saying to me, I'm not buying him unless you canter. So I canted. (laughs) It was a long road to building my confidence back up. And I do want to say that if you are listening to this and you feel like fear is holding you back from doing the things that you want to do and it's never going to go away, I know how you feel, but it will pass if you work at it. And I will do an episode on overcoming fear in the future. So if that's something you struggle with, definitely stick around because I've got you covered. Anyway, I learned with Dobber that if I was nervous, he would do these massive shies. But when I was confident, he was perfect. It was my first lesson in your horse takes their confidence from you. Around this time, my mum and I spent a lot of time auditing horsemanship clinics reading books about horsemanship and talking to people who trained in different horsemanship methods. While my focus was always on dressage and I was having weekly dressage lessons, my mum knew how important it was for me to have that background in understanding horses. And I am so grateful for that because to this day, I wholeheartedly believe that to be good riders, we first need to be good horsewomen. Fence sitting these horsemanship clinics inspired me to incorporate a lot of groundwork into my horse life early on without really knowing what I was doing. I was around nine or 10 at the time and I wasn't really following any particular method because my inspiration was so varied from all the different trainers that I just picked up things from everywhere and mishmashed them into my own system, which has actually continued evolving to become what it is today, which is still very understanding the horse, communicating with the horse in their own language, but with a big dressage twist. I even made Dobber a bitless bridle out of a spare rope halter by attaching a brow band and reins. Keep in mind, I was like nine or 10. I had no idea what a bitless bridle was or how they worked. I was just like, oh, this is a cool thing to do, you know, and he was such a good pony. He just went around in it. So we started going to pony club and competing at local dressage days where we actually won a trophy for our junior rider prelim novice and we were doing gymkhanas and hack days and competing at local shows and jumping over a meter in our dressage saddle (laughs) um if you know me you know i'm not a jumper and this is the highest i've ever jumped on a 13 hand pony (laughs) um he was just such a good jumper and he loved it he just carried me over Anyway, I realized pretty early on that while I enjoyed and we were good at the sporting and we always won our rider class, I didn't like the atmosphere at the pony club events and the hack shows. So we focused on our dressage and we left everything else to do in a non-competitive environment at pony club. And I will say it was quite interesting. Our dressage really came out and shone at pony club. No one could beat us at musical cups because We could do a canter halt, halt canter transition and we had bend and all those other dressage things really came in handy in the games and stuff. And this was a time before there were a lot of kids my age competing at regular dressage competitions. In my orbit, I think there was one other girl around my age competing in the EA dressage competitions and everyone else was either at pony club or out hacking. So Dobber and I kept going on this way until an old tendon injury that was pre-existing before we bought him flared up and I had to retire him, which meant it was time to bring an aging king back into work who I now had grown into and had the confidence to ride. 
King really helped me establish more grown-up foundations in my dressage training, but I always struggled with understanding the contact, how much to take, and all of that stuff. My coach at the time wanted me to learn to ride from my legs and my seat without relying on my hands, which was fantastic because I had this amazing balance and seat. But now it was time to start taking the reins up more. I had no idea what to do, and it was something that I ended up struggling with for a really long time. So when I was 12, I started training with Emma Flavelle, who at the time was fresh back from Germany. Everything was going well. King and I were progressing and I was learning how to ride a bigger horse and starting to take some contact. But ultimately his age, the harder work and the harder life that he'd had before we bought him started to catch up with him. So we decided it was time to find a young horse for me to continue on with while King retired and lived out his days with his bestie Dobber. And those two had a really happy retirement on my parents' property. They were best friends until the end, and they both passed away within a year of each other, well into their 20s. As we transitioned King into retirement, my parents bought me my first little warm blood, a five-year-old, very green chestnut mare called Jelly Baby, whose name I very quickly changed to Ellie. Knowing what I know now, I would have done things a lot differently with Ellie but I was only equipped with the knowledge I had at the time and that is going to be another theme that we discuss in another episode. Ellie could be what I labelled as a real chestnut mare. Some weeks she would buck, some weeks she would rear, some weeks she would be the perfect angel and some weeks she would injure herself and have to spell. The inconsistency in our riding translated into the competition arena because of course it did. I didn't know then, but I know now that if your training isn't consistent, if you can't consistently ride the test work really well at home, then you are not going to be able to consistently ride it in the competition arena. Ellie was my first serious competition horse, but I felt like I would go out one week and score 68%. Then the next week we would score 59% in exactly the same test. During this time, there were contributing factors outside of horses that were affecting my riding. I was being pretty badly bullied at school, which was causing anxiety and depression, and it just made me feel like I wasn't good enough in the competition arena. So every time I went down the center line, no matter how well I warmed up, everything fell to pieces. I remember this one competition, I was feeling really, really anxious and on the verge of crying already as I went down the center line. And down the center line and just went the complete wrong way and I knew the judge I'd had some lessons with her a few years earlier and she just got out of her car and she said Beth just just start again Uh, anyway my parents took me to see the amazing mindset coach Tanya Mitten who I had some wonderful sessions with she really helped me break through my anxiety and my scores got higher and more consistent but they still weren't all the way where I wanted them to be Looking back, there were holes in my training that were the cause of this, but instead of learning that and learning how to fix them, I blame the horse, I blame the weather, I blame the judges, but again, that is a theme that I would like to cover in another episode. Within a year of having lessons for Emma, I started going out and helping her every single school holidays, which I did until I graduated. I worked what were sometimes 12-hour days in exchange for lessons on Ellie, and let me tell you, that was the best thing I ever did in my life. I learned so much from that experience, first being that you can ride horses as a job, and from that moment on, I knew that I wanted to do what Emma did. 
This experience was the whole setup for my entire career. I wouldn't be where I am today as young as I am without the experience that I had doing this and without a mentor like Emma who was so generous in the time and just just time that she gave me and the knowledge that she gave me and the horses she let me sit on. So I worked my ass off and I learned how to run a professional stable. I got to ride different horses and be a part of the process, starting young horses and developing what became her second Grand Prix horse, Andiamo, or as we know him, Astro. One of my favorite memories from this time was when I was about 15, Emma sat me on Astro and we worked on his PR with her from the ground. And it was just the best day of my life at that point. I couldn't stop smiling. It was so cool. So when I finished school, Ellie and I were training the medium work and I was planning on working for Emma full time when a job came up in Germany through one of her contacts. So I got on a plane by myself and flew to Germany four days after my 18th birthday to become a working student in a stallion barn in Germany. The barn was Hengstation Jensmeier, home of the deceased His Highness and home of Damsey, who you may know um, from Helen Langhangenberg taking over the ride on him just after I left. They competed International Grand Prix really successfully until his retirement. I learned a lot during my time at the Myers and I was really lucky to have the opportunity to ride a lot of different types of horses from breakers to FEI stallions, even getting to sit on Damsey himself quite a few times. And anytime Jens would ever see me handling him, he would say, you be careful, that is a 3 million euro horse, nothing can happen to him. I was very lucky in this job to be grooming for Australian rider Vicky Harding and have her looking out for me and advocating for me to ride horses and experience the big shows and to read menus for me when I first arrived because I understood absolutely no German. Within a month of my stay, I decided to extend my time in Germany from three months to six and to sell Ellie to buy something a bit bigger because she was only 16 hands and I am quite tall and a bit more talented, though I was still looking for a horse in Australia. Towards the end of my six months, I fell head over heels for a three-year-old mare that was being brought over to our barn by her owner to be ridden a few times a week by head rider Stefan Frahm. I was told they were selling her and they offered her to me, but they said if I didn't want her, they would send her to the PSI auctions, which are some of the most elite auctions in the world. And I was actually lucky enough to attend the auction a few months later. So I pleaded with my parents to let me have a sit and well, she felt like floating on a cloud and we just immediately gelled. It was love at first ride. I was told she could be a bit tricky, but with help, I would be fine. So I bought her, still planning on coming home to Australia after my six months. And we were just a few weeks out from that when Vicky said to me, I think you need to stay in Germany. You should go work for Sebastian Langhangenberg, who was her trainer at the time. So we put it to Seb that could Quinter and I come and train with him for three months, I would work in exchange for my accommodation, Quinter's board and lessons. And that's the story of how I ended up in Munster for a year. (laughs) Um, Training there with Germany's national under 25 year old team trainer and Helen Langhangenberg's ex-husband and trainer. In hindsight, I would have ridden young Quinter very differently. If I was to do it again now, I would be more aware of her lack of work ethic rather than just avoiding it and riding her through it because in my mind she was German, so she should be able to cope with a German training style. 
I really enjoyed riding with Seb though. He was very he was a very kind trainer who really took the time to understand each horse and create a training system for each horse and he got results and I wish I'd had more time there with him when Quinta was a bit older because I feel like we really started to hit our stride in her training towards the end of our year there um, because you know we were just able to start doing a bit more with her because she was turning five there's only so much you can do with a four-year-old he really did handle her tricky personality well and while it wasn't all smooth sailing she had never done anything really drastic and we were making really good progress. I was feeling fantastic about our future together. At the end of our year with Seb, Quinter and I were booked on a plane back to Australia and the week before we were supposed to leave my friend was like I could get you a job with this Olympic gold medalist and it will involve some riding. I was excited, training with an Olympic gold medalist. Of course I want to do that. I mean, what could go wrong? So I sent Quinta to the new barn and I went home to Australia for a month. I still don't think I'd processed how not straightforward this mirror of mine was, and that is the biggest regret in my life. I'm not sure why I didn't send her to the new barn on a break or leave her with Seb while I was at home. I guess I was young and I just trusted that these people knew what they were doing. Anyway, I arrived back in Germany so excited to reunite with my girl and start on the next chapter of our adventure. And, you know, there'd been no communication that anything was wrong. Your horse is crazy. That is what I was told when I arrived. During my month at home, my girl had started rearing vertical. I would handle it very differently now, but at the time I was scared and I trusted that the people around me knew what they were doing because... The people around me was an Olympic gold medalist and I'm not going to go too deeply into this but my time there was a nightmare and my gut was just screaming to me to get out. I was told if I wanted to ride more horses I needed to improve my seat which I later learned there was nothing wrong with my seat but I was so engulfed in the Germany experience of just saying yes to every opportunity that was given to me so I said yes, I paid the money to work with a seat specialist who really messed up my seat, which I rapidly had to fix when I went back to Australia and got bucked off three different horses in my first two weeks. So I was having visa trouble, I was hating my job, they weren't paying me, I was barely riding and the way that this trainer trained just didn't gel with me and it definitely didn't gel with Quinta. So I made this decision to cut my time there short and come home to Australia with Quinta where I dove straight into riding for Emma who had just had her daughter with a competition lined up in two weeks time on a tricky young horse. When I sat on the horse with my new and improved seat the first reaction from Emma was what happened to you? I saw you ride like two months ago and you looked good. It was hard work but I finally got my seat back. Quinta arrived and I brought her slowly back into work. I spent two years riding for Emma, mostly riding young horses, even starting a few myself, but also getting to ride some FEI horses. During this time, I was able to process everything I learned in Germany while under Emma's guidance and start to develop my own training system that was a collaboration of what I had learned from everyone I'd ever worked with in my life. During this time, I also started to unofficially take on clients of my own for training and lessons, but I didn't have a business or anything. Quinta and I were having inconsistent success. At times, she wouldn't rear and we would make progress. We were scoring consistently around 70% at all our competitions, 
but it still didn't feel like I was in control of our success. The good times were reliant on her being in a good frame of mind and those times were so good. But when she didn't want to do something, she would rear vertical for months on end. We tried everything to rule out pain. She had regular physio, saddle fits, teeth checked, anything you can think of. I started dating my partner in early 2019 and later that year he got a job in the Southern Highlands, New South Wales. So after two years of being back in Australia and working for Emma, I decided to embark on a new adventure and agreed to move because of its proximity to the bigger venues and some amazing coaches. I think some things just happened for a reason because it took me a while to find my footing, but I ended up in the absolute perfect situation working for Matthew Dowsley in the mornings and basing my business out of the incredible Sutton Farm Equestrian Centre. And it was Matthew that changed everything for me. He was the first person to ever connect Quinta's rearing problem with a contact issue, at least in a way that actually got through to me. And I very quickly learned that if I could keep Quinta working through the connection, then she wouldn't rear. I just remember this day, it was probably like my second ride with Matthew on Quinta or something. And he said to me, Beth, you have a contact issue. And I said, I know, but I have a rearing vertical issue. We need to prioritize that. And he said to me, if you fix this contact issue, you'll fix the rearing vertical issue because every time she goes to rear, she comes out of the contact. If you can keep her in the contact, then she won't rear. And the rearing is a evasion to the contact. And I was just like, wow, you know, you've seen me ride this horse like twice and you've already told me what no one else has been able to tell me. So that really just formed a lot of trust in Matthew because he turned out to be right. It took a lot of sweat, tears and vertical rears, but in a year we went from pretty average elementary work to training advanced with her finally using her body in the right way and me finally being able to be in control of her body and position her where I wanted her and soften her and keep her connected. And Matthew was just the pivotal piece of the puzzle for that he brought me back down to earth and just consolidated something I already knew but I wasn't really implementing enough the foundations through training with Matthew I was able to come up with my training system hypothesis everything comes better by working on the foundations because everything that is not a foundation is a variation or extension of the foundations You cannot ride the higher level movements if the foundations of those higher level movements aren't solid. You cannot ride a good half pass or a good pirouette without a good traver. You cannot ride a good flying change without a good canter. You cannot ride a good transition without good paces on either side of the transition. Matthew really drilled it to me, drilled it into me both on Quinta and on his own horses that he let me ride that We improve the higher level work by taking it right back to basics and working on those. In the first half of 2021, I was flying high. I was looking at taking Quinta out medium once COVID restrictions eased. I bought her a double bridle. I was so confident. Then the worst thing happened. I had to retire Quinta at nine years old. It was the most heartbreaking decision of my life. I still absolutely adore that horse. But she's good, and at the end of last year, she became the mother to a beautiful Benicio cult, and she will go and foal again later this year. But I was stuck without my own horse to ride, and I was trying to build a business in a location where people didn't know me, 
without a horse to show them what I was capable of. Like I had some client horses that I was riding, but none of them were good horses. So I scrounged to be able to get a loan so that I could buy a beautiful two and a half year old Versace Royal Hit Gelding that looked so much like Quinta that I nearly passed him by. But ultimately I decided that I was crazy not to buy the best horse I could find in my budget just because he looked like Quinta. And let me say, Vidane is the biggest ray of sunshine that has ever come into my life. His temperament couldn't be more different to Quinta's. My plan was to start him when he turned three at the beginning of 2022, but watching how his body was developing, I decided to leave him until the end of the year. Right from when he arrived, I've just made sure he was comfortable and confident with everything he would need to know to feel confident and be able to use his body in the right way from the very first time I sat on him and it's paid off right from the first sit he's had the tools to be able to respond to my aids and carry his body in the right way my focus with him is maintaining his gorgeous if I understand this then I will do it for you 1000% attitude by just taking everything really slowly with him and letting him tell me what he's ready to do Bidane is becoming a culmination of everything that I'm about in my training and I cannot wait to see how that benefits him in the future because I truly believe that every single thing I have been through with all of my horses has happened to help me develop the deep understanding of foundational training that I have today. If anything had been different, I would not be the rider that I am today and I am excited to continue growing and learning and tweaking my training system along the way. Because that's what dressage is. None of us enter this discipline as perfect riders or trainers. Not me, not you, not Charlotte, not Isabel. We, we become the riders we are through our experiences, our mistakes, and our willingness to learn from all of them. Something that stuck by me that someone told me when I was a kid is that dressage is 20% physical and 80% mental. I truly believe that, and I finally truly understood what this meant during my time working for Matthew. I also realized that not everyone has the opportunities that I have had to be able to truly understand the foundations. Like seriously, it took me that long of doing this professionally and going overseas and doing all the things to finally truly have this deep understanding despite having thought I had had it for so long. No wonder the normal riders out there are feeling defeated like they're on a different plane of existence to the good professionals because to the normal riders who don't have this understanding, it feels impossible, like the professionals have superpowers or something. Let me tell you, it is not superpowers, it is knowledge and practice, but it is knowledge, which is why I decided to start offering online training programs so that I can help give people who don't have the time or the desire to go overseas and train or work in the industry as a working student access to this knowledge too. Because I believe that the everyday riders that deserve to have these tools, the way I see it, the more people that have this understanding, who understand how to train a horse through the foundations correctly, the better the world is going to be for our horses. And that is all I want to do as a trainer. It's the why in my business that I am so lucky to be able to get to do full time. It's why I've worked so hard all these years without necessarily knowing that this was my end goal. Everything I have done has culminated to be able to do this, to be able to help riders in this very specific way, to help simplify dressage for horses and riders, to make it as easy as possible for horses to use their bodies correctly so that consistent progress can come easily, 
The high scores come easily. Feeling good about your writing comes easily. And to me, that is the dressage connection. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the Dressage Connection podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes and leave a rating, review, or share a screenshot of this episode to your stories to help more people find their dressage connection. You can always reach out to me on Instagram with any questions about anything we've covered on the podcast, your own writing journey, or just to say hi at bc.performancehorses. You can also get the latest info about how you can work with me on my website, bcperformancehorses.com. I can't wait to hang out with you in the next episode, but in the meantime, go on and build that beautiful dressage connection 